Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. Hello, and welcome to the second part of the reading and interpretation of the Messari report on crypto in 2021 and 2022. Section six is really, really interesting. It's where things get very interesting also for the travel industry, in my opinion. The title is NFTs and Web3 Plumbing. So let me read directly from the report. The 2020 DeFi boom supplied the throughput infrastructure of self-costed, permissionless trade, like routing and bandwidth in Web1, which allowed NFTs to take off. The explosion of demand for NFTs plus DeFi pulled forward demand for more scalable Layer 1 and Layer 2 blockchains earlier this year. All of that will spur growth in DAO infrastructure in the new year. NFTs provide on-chain identity and reputation for DAO contributors. DeFi gives DAO members massive liquid pools of capital to govern. And scaling solutions will make on-chain governance economically feasible. In Web3, cryptocurrencies and NFTs are the digital goods of the new economy. DeFi is the native financial system. Layer 1 networks are the rails that power everything, and DAOs are how the frontier gets governed. It's all coming together and it's going to be absolutely beautiful. Now, he also talks about the term Web3, which is quickly becoming the de facto term for this thing, which used to be called blockchain and crypto, and now is Web3. And I think this is the right term because when we talked about crypto and blockchain, it felt like something outside of the internet or maybe another application on top of the internet. When in fact, Web3 is the internet learning to do one more thing, which is basically owning pieces of the internet. So it stays on top of Web1 and 2. So Web1 is the read only, Web2 is the read and write, and Web3 is the read, write, and own. So yes, it's on top of the internet, but it's below the application layer. You can build stuff on top of the internet and you can build even more stuff if the internet is allowing you to own things. And remember, it's allowing also machines to own things. So if you are a fan of dystopian science fiction, well, this is your moment because machines, basically smart contracts, are going to own stuff which humans do not own. But the term Web3 is the term which will allow more people to understand what's actually going on. Is the internet getting an upgrade? So first chapter, NFTs, digital goods on a global ledger. I'm reading. Let's start with the breakout asset class of the year, NFTs. Yes, they are like ICOs of this cycle. Sky high hype, crazy volatility, lots of early lottery winners and complete garbage. But as a new asset type and class, they will transform the world. So again, you need to keep two conflicting thoughts in your head. NFTs are garbage. NFTs are changing the world. And both are true. Most NFTs are going to be worthless. 
Many of them are cash grabs, but at the same time, this technology has the power to change the digital world and by reflection, the real world. It's really important technology. I dedicated a whole episode to NFTs in travel, so go there if you want to understand what they are. Just reminding what they are, they are digital assets. It's stuff online. It's anything online which has value, which you can, you can now own. But I am skipping many of these um, chapters Ryan is writing because I've explained this already from the perspective of the travel industry. In this chapter, Ryan also talks about social tokens and fan tokens. They are not probably very applicable in the travel industry. But I encourage you to download this free report and read this chapter because it, you know you, you may have ideas which I didn't have, and uh, you may build stuff in the travel industry on top of these ideas. Then he talks about the play to earn revolution, the X Infinity game. I don't know if you heard about that, but it's a game in which instead of paying for a company to give you access to the game. You are an owner of the game itself, and you can earn money by, by playing. In terms of travel industry, this can become interesting because we can invent ways for people to interact with our protocols or with our companies and make them actually earn money simply by being there, by doing things. It's the gamification, but it's enhanced by the fact that there's tokens connected, so you can actually directly pay people for interacting with you and, and giving value to what you're doing because people you know what is valuable today in web 2 is pretty clear is attention so you can earn money by having people paying attention to your product but at the same time share the value with them through tokens or nfts play to earn is going to be extremely big next year you can ignore it again there's too many things happening at the same time now in crypto so you are forced to ignore stuff but often the best ideas come from intersections between different fields so maybe you're going to look deeply into maybe you are a player a gamer right you like to follow games and nobody stops you from learning about play to earn and while you do play to earn you're going to have a great idea for web3 in travel too right that's a beautiful thing about this moment in history in the web and the web tree specifically is that you can follow the things you actually enjoy and then while you play you have ideas so why for instance don't have a game in which people travel around the world and maybe they rent places and they buy flight tickets and whatever happens in real life when you travel in a game and while you do this game, you, you learn about places, maybe you can book through the game and, you know, whatever comes to your mind. Again, you play, you get your ideas, and then something really clicks, you can start trying building it. Chapter six is about loot. The title is Looted, Composable NFTs. And this may be a bit too much at this stage if you are not deep into crypto. But the idea basically is that somebody launched some textual NFTs, so a black box with some random text on it, and they were free, and people could mint them just paying the gas. And then the idea is that was like, like, okay, this is the basic words of a universe. Now go and build a universe on top of them. Instead of having a game company creating a game and then releasing it, somebody created NFTs which are immutable text, right? And people based on this and owning these NFTs, they could build, you know, video games and games. So this actually happened. 
people are building stuff on it. The crazy part of it is that the valuation of these NFTs went to tens of thousands of dollars. Then, of course, they crashed, but they're still, I think, worth about a couple of ETH, so more than $7,000, $8,000 each. And I'll leave it there. Uh, I'll leave it there. This is a bit too much at this stage, but I think this is really interesting in the fact that as a travel industry, we could actually derive value from having a shared set of words on which to build maybe fidelization programs or marketing programs. And with my DAO, Trips Community, we are actually working on something like this. So if you follow me, you will read about it and hopefully at least learn because learning is where you get value for sure. And whatever time you spend on it is never actually wasted. Chapter seven is about NFT financialization. Well, this is extremely interesting and uh, it's a new area in NFT development. So NFTs have a problem in terms of, of markets, right? You have a specific NFT and there's only one of that kind. Maybe you have a CryptoPunk, maybe you paid it a million dollars, but how much is it worth today? You know the worth only if somebody makes an offer. So let's say that the only offer you have is half a million and all right, you're not going to sell. Is the price half a million? No, because you're not selling. If on the other end, you actually accept the offer and you sell it for half a million, there you go. The price of this NFT today is half a million. But most NFTs are going to be in this situation in which you know how much you paid it, but you don't know how much the market values it. The closest thing will be like the house housing market, right? You know how much you paid for your house. You kind of understand how much it could be worth on the market today because other houses around are selling for a certain price, but each house is different. And of course, if you have an apartment in a building block and somebody sold at a certain price on the same floor, yeah, okay, you more or less know how much the market is valuing your apartment. But if you have a very original house in a specific location, it's much harder, right? So how do you know the price? Today, the price is defined by a concept which is called the floor. So CryptoPunks, there's 10,000 of them, which, is, which one is the cheapest? They all have different prices because they have different rarities and attributes, but some are on the market and they are the cheapest and the market is actually buying them. So you know the floor, but yours is different. Maybe yours is worth 10 times more. That's one problem. Another problem is that maybe you want to own a CryptoPunk or let's say in the travel industry, maybe you want to own the first NFT booking in history. And it's on the market for $10,000. You don't want to spend $10,000. This is maybe too much money. Maybe you're not so convinced that the price will go up, but you would love to have some exposure. Maybe you want to put $100. How can you do that? Well, the solution to both problems is fractionalization. So the owner of the NFT says, okay, I want to put it on the market, but I don't want actually to lose all of it. I'm going to issue some tokens. And let's say this NFT is worth $10,000. Let me issue 10,000 tokens worth a dollar each. And now anyone can buy $1,001 of this NFT. No one actually owns the NFT. No one can do anything with the NFT, but they can have price exposure. So if this NFT goes from $10,000 to a million dollars, well, anybody who has some tokens has 100 hex. So it allows us to 
get exposure to prices of NFTs without having to buy the whole thing, but just a little part of it. It also allows you to have ownership of a part of an NFT. And, you know, maybe there's this uh, first book in history is on the market for 10,000. It's going to go to a million. Who knows? You own $100 of them. And somebody in the travel industry is going to say, okay, whoever owns those tokens is signaling that they are in the travel industry. They believe in the future of, of the Web3 and the travel industry. And whoever owns a token is going to get something from me. You know, the, again, the free breakfast or access to a conference, whatever, right? Another use case is a group of people who want to acquire a very specific NFT and they get together in a DAO. Maybe they raise some money through a DAO and they bid on the specific NFT. And there are already platforms where you can coordinate this effort. Uh, the other day I participated in the Moloch DAO. I bid 0.1 ETH, about $400, for raising together. We raised together 40 ETH which is over $100,000, and we acquired a NFT. And now I'm, I own a few of the tokens of these NFT, so I have a fractional part of it. Now, this specific project was not about speculation. It was more about raising money for public goods. I participated in it. I'm happy. I don't know what's going to happen with the price of, of these tokens, but it can be done today already. So we have platforms for fractionalizing the NFTs and platforms for bidding on these fractionalized NFTs already. And this is just a few months old as a concept, actually. And that goes to show how fast this ecosystem grows and develops and innovates. Chapter 8 is about OpenSea. It's called OpenSea in France. OpenSea is a marketplace where you buy and sell NFTs. It's the leader in the market. It's a centralized company, and it's been incredibly successful. So let me read from, from the, the report. Over the past 18 months, OpenSea has enjoyed one of the fastest revenue ramps of any business in history. They've gone from a seed stage startup to a potential decacorn, meaning not unicorn, but decacorn. I guess this is like 10 times a, new, a unicorn. Uh, I think that means $10 billion in valuation. And I think they could eventually be a 100 billion company or network if they continue to execute. Let me focus on a little thing here. Ryan says billion company or network. Why does it say network? We've always been thinking in terms of companies. What is a network? Well, Ethereum is a network. Bitcoin is a network. And now networks have valuations. We didn't have that before. That clearly the internet never had a valuation. How much is the internet worth? Well, I suppose it's worth a lot, right? But there's no way, or there was no way to give a price on it because there was no way, and there is no way today to acquire a part of the internet. The internet does not have a token, so we cannot give it a price. Now, Ethereum is a token, coin, not a token. Bitcoin is a coin. Um, OpenSea doesn't have a coin, so it's not really a network yet. They could go in the direction of becoming a DAO and issuing a token, or they could go in the direction of a centralized company and doing an IPO. So next in the report, they show um, a chart about the OpenSea end seller fees. So the fees generated by OpenSea as a company and the seller fees, which is basically the money uh, you do if you sell something on, uh, on OpenSea and you have to find that for each sale, there's a small percent, which is called royalty. 
this year they went from a few million dollars a month in uh, December last year to a jump of over 200 million dollars in uh, July this year. It has gone down since to 160 more or less, but the jump is still staggering. So these numbers are why Coinbase plans to enter the market, FTX is already there, Gemini is already there, and, and more will come. We will see a big number of NFT marketplaces pop up. There's already many of them, and more are coming out, I would say, almost every week. So you have centralized exchanges, like the one Coinbase is going to launch, and you have decentralized exchanges, which are very easy to replicate. Remember the Uniswap SushiSwap story in another episode? So if somebody builds a completely decentralized NFT marketplace, somebody else can just get the code and do a competitor, which means very fast innovation, a lot of niche markets, incredible liquidity movement. So we will see both. We will see the centralized companies and we will see the decentralized companies try to get a piece of the NFT marketplace. So how is all this important for the travel space? Well, I think this is extremely important. I mean, we will have NFTs representing digital assets in the travel space. And so we will need marketplaces for NFTs. And it will probably make sense to have NFT travel specific marketplaces. So are you looking for an idea for the next huge company? Well, maybe this. Build a marketplace for NFTs in the travel space. So that when I get in, I know that every single NFT there is not about art, which I don't understand. It's not about PFP projects, you know, this profile picture project. It's only about travel. Maybe there's going to be specific NFT only for bookings, where every NFT I can buy there represents a night in a hotel, a week in a villa, a flight, uh, a car rental, whatever. Maybe there's going to be back-end marketplaces where, you know, hotels could use them for their own specific needs. Maybe they're going to do a white-labeled one. There's going to be many different solutions, and they haven't been built yet. They probably haven't even been told about yet. So huge opportunities here. I mean, that's not going to be the case in a few years' time. So if you are one of these people who want to build something, here you go. Check this out. That could be the next big thing. Chapter 9, the cryptoverse. And you know that he refers here to the metaverse, this thing everybody's talking about. What the hell is a metaverse? Well, there's no real answer here. The metaverse is what you want it to be. It's just a name and you can fill it in with whatever you want. So we need to have kind of a definition before going farther. The report here gives Matthew Ball definition. Let me read it for you. The metaverse is a virtual realm with seven qualities. Persistence, which is a permanent, always-on, open, global hangout. Liveness which is a real-time, just like the physical realm. And kept user presence, a stadium vibe. I think that means that as many people as they want, they can be in. It's not a limiting number of people, right? Economic robustness, which is NFTs are goods, fungible tokens are the currencies and commodities. Relevance across digital and physical worlds, which means no walled gardens. Walled gardens meaning like 
the App Store or Facebook. So open. Interoperability. Portable goods, identities, IPs, which means if I have an NFT in a metaverse, I can go to another metaverse. And here I can mean the metaverse as the total of all the metaverses. So these different words which communicate with each other or the specific metaverse, which is one of these words. And then user-driven evolution, which means content and experiences are created, curated openly versus through a central company. Now, imagine a video game where you go, it's like a world, you can play, you can fight, etc., but everything is built by a company. That's not a metaverse in this definition because it's closed and it's controlled by, by the company. So the metaverse in this definition is a place where you go online. It's always there. There are people. There's actually many people. You can buy things. You can take this thing out. You can sell them for real money. You can buy them with real money. By real money, I mean money you can use in the real world, like fiat money. Um, it's open and everything works together. And it's built by the people who actually live into this place, like the people who work into this place and, and participate. So as with everything else online, we're going to have very centralized metaverses and very decentralized ones. And, uh, and everything in between, right? So what about travel? Is there any use case for metaverse in travel? Well, I would say that's not the right question. If the metaverse becomes something, like if people spend a lot of time and money into it, I think these are the keys to judge the success of the metaverse, then travel is going to be in there. So there's going to be virtual worlds that are actually already hard, where maybe you can do some advertising. This is the most basic and probably stupid idea you can have, right? I mean, maybe it's the best, who knows? But it's the first thing coming to mind. You go on a metaverse, you pay for a space, and you advertise your company. That's already happening in the sandbox. It's already happening in the central end. But this is just the first idea. This is like obvious and maybe, maybe if is a good idea, maybe not. Of course, it depends on how many people spend time there. Maybe you can have virtual representations of your place. Like you buy some land on the sandbox and you replicate your hotel in, in their own design. And maybe you can let people get in your hotel with their avatar and actually book a room at the reception. Who knows? I mean, this is the phase of like skeuomorphic ideas. You try to replicate what's in the real world and then you try to replicate what's on web too. And we are not yet at the phase in which you do things which are not really possible in the real life and in web too. So we still have to get those ideas that they will come. And how do you get those ideas? Well, you go, you explore, you spend your time in the metaverse. And of course, you need to enjoy it, I guess. It cannot be done as a mere uh, business exercise. So maybe you let your kids do it. They're probably spending time in games like Roblox or Minecraft. And you try to understand where this can go. Nobody can tell you. I can't for sure tell you. And it's really up to you. Is it a good bet? Is it just going to be a fade and everything is going to go away? We go back to the old ways. I don't think so. I don't think this is a risk I want to take. So I guess we'll see. Chapter 10. I said metaverse, not meta. This is the title. And he basically says, look, yes, Facebook is evil. Facebook is not to be trusted. 
but do not discount what they're going to do with Meta. Uh, it seems that Zuckerberg has said the right things. He gets it. He gets also the decentralization aspects. Um, so w- what he's saying here is like, don't discount this. It could become big. It could become relevant. It could be even executed well from a decentralization point of view, which is basically to say, okay, you want to create a real successful metaverse, it better be open. It better have some elements of the seven elements which were described before. If you do it completely centralized, and maybe it's not going to work, basically. So Zuckerberg understand this, so you know, check him out. Chapter 11. Non-fungible credentials, your modular identity. So what he's saying here is that NFTs have another use case, which is to prove what you know. Let's say that every time you follow a course successfully, you get an NFT and not just a certificate, which then you, you show on your LinkedIn, but a real NFT, which proves ownership of it. And you may say, yeah, but what about if you sell it? Well, I don't know. Maybe these NFTs will lose value in the moment they are moved. So you could get an NFT for a course, but you cannot move it anymore. It it has to stay there. Who knows? There's probably one way this can be solved. Or NFTs for participating to conferences. Earlier this year, I participated in a conference, the Vacation Rental World Summit in Annecy, France. And I created an NFT, which we then gave for free to anyone who participated. This is a proof of attendance. And imagine if you are looking for a job or looking for partnership or you you kind of have to prove your knowledge in the vacation rental industry and you have five NFTs for the five most important conferences you've just been to. You're now proving that you have been to these places, which is much more powerful than just saying I've been there and, you know, kind of weirdly showing pictures of you with other people like, it's a bit like the selfies. Selfies have this use case of showing that you've been somewhere and you've met someone, right? This is not new. I mean, group pictures or when you were in conferences is not new. One of the reasons is to show that you were there, to prove that you were there. NFTs can probably do this much better and allow for machines to read that. If you have this NFT, if you have these five NFTs, great. It's kind of your resume. It's part of your resume, right? So your wallet will inside some historical NFTs for the early bookings with some NFTs for participating in conference, with NFTs for, for following some specific courses or reading certain books in the travel industry will become your digital curriculum vitae. Maybe associated to the traditional one, maybe on their own. I don't know. But what matters here is that NFTs allow you to give some more solidity to your claims of knowing things and having been in places and having met some people. Chapter 12 is namespaces and data sharing. And he's basically talking about the ENS domains. So domain names like .eth for Ether, which is a decentralized protocol acting like the name registers of .com and, and the other dots. So ENS has recently done a billion-dollar airdrop. So anybody who had a ETH name, domain name, got tokens. And these are governance tokens. So they are used to vote on issues and help 
reaching consensus on, on how this protocol has to, to move. I am myself a delegate. So when you got your tokens, you could delegate them to somebody so you don't have to follow from you know very close what's happening. And so I personally follow what's happening. And when there's a vote, I vote with my tokens and I vote with other people's tokens too. And I do not have their tokens, but they gave me their governance rights. So you see how tokens are flexible here. They were able to give me the rights to vote and they can revoke it at any time, but they didn't give me the actual tokens. So the thesis here is that this protocol could become as big as VeriSign. VeriSign is a 27 billion market cap company, which manages about 80, 85% of the world, 200 million websites today. But there's billions of people and only millions of websites. So anybody could in the future want one decentralized domain. And uh, it's important to know that when you have your own domain, like I have tripluka.eth, right? And uh, this is not only a domain name, this is also an Ethereum address. So you could send money to tripluka.eth or you could get money from me and knowing it comes from me. It's, it's a readable, human readable domain. So they are much easier to use than the classic, you know, Ethereum addresses, 0x and then numbers and letters. And they actually work with .com domains. So if you have your, I don't know, marysvillas.com, you can purchase marysvillas.eth and you can receive money on your marysvillas.com. I'm going to ask why I'm going to receive money there. Well, this is just one of the use cases. The most interesting use case for decentralized domains is that you use them as your login on Web3. Remember that Web2 asks you to create an account in their servers and then you access their servers and then you could be kicked out anytime and your identity is not in your hands, but in their hands. So you may have the same name for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I mean, the same nickname. But if you are kicked out from Instagram, you're never going to get it back. While in Web3, you log in with your wallet, right? Now with Web3, you can log in with your marysvilla.eth domain name. And there are already websites in which when you log in with this, that's your username and other people see it. I was trying to play a game the other day called Worldwide web3.com and it was just a you know pixelated game like in the 80s but i logged in with my tripluka.eth domain name and uh, so that was my login i didn't have a login and a password i just click my metamask my wallet i i signed a message i didn't pay anything and then i was in and i was a character in the game and the name of the character was tripluka.eth so i can imagine myself logging into this hotel website with tripluka.eth so i don't need to create an account which makes it easier for direct bookings because one of the issues with direct bookings is that i am no one in for your website and you are forced to ask me to kind of register so that you can have you can offer me a persistent experience and so i have to go through you know login and password send me the email and all these things right but instead i can just click on a signature through my wallet. And in literally three seconds, I'm in with my full identity, tripluka.eth. 
Then I book a room. And then when I get to the reception, I don't actually need to go to the reception because this specific address has been given access to the room for the night. And it is always called tripluca.eth. So what I've just described here is not about decentralized domain names. We could do the same thing with 0x, etc., right? But this just makes it better, it makes it easier. So... Yeah, another primitive which allows us to imagine new ways to coordinate, to organize the travel space. Chapter 13 is the so lotteries, decentralized social networks, lotteries. And uh, it describes a bit the first steps of decentralized social networks. One aspect is interesting here for the travel industry, and it's the fact that in Web3 social networks, it's very easy to reward and track activity. So in the future, I think this is still pretty far, you will be able to pay for social networks visibility directly the users who help you rather than paying advertisement to the social network companies, which means basically two things. It's going to be probably cheaper because there's no middleman. and we are have in front of us a period in which it's cheap to advertise on these networks as it was cheap at the beginning in Google. I remember being one of the first people at the beginning of 2000s to advertise travel companies on Google AdWords. It's called Google Ads today. It was really cheap to bring clicks in and they were converting very well. So it was great. And then it got more and more expensive because more people got in and then started bidding on the same keywords. The same happened with Facebook. It was cheap at the beginning. It was very rewarding. And then it became very, very expensive. So when the first decentralized social networks come to life, if you get in early and you start pushing your own company on them, probably for a while, you're going to have a great return on your investment. So it pays to keep track of what's happening and get in very early. But again, this is your usual skeuomorphic approach. So the way we do it in Web2, maybe we can do it in Web3 a bit better, but we can't even imagine what can be done automatically and then 10 times better or in a completely different way in Web3. So we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be social network travel companies and they will start from this. So keep an eye on it. The next chapter is the physical decentralized web, and it's more about hardware and how to keep data online. I don't know what I can say about travel about this, so I'm going to skip it. And chapter 15 is about physical network scaling, so the same subject. Uh, it's just good to know that there is a lot of development both on the software side, so like better blockchains or for blockchains with different layers, which are faster and on the hardware. So this whole space is improving and innovating a lot, even if it's not easy to see. The next section is DeFi 2.0. I explained to you, and there's an episode dedicated to DeFi, decentralized finance, and I told you this is basically the banking system, the financial system of the Web3. And we are already talking about DeFi 2.0. Some say this is just a name means nothing. Some say this is a completely new iteration of the space. What matters here is that a lot of innovation is still going on and we have probably just started a multi-year or multi-decade 
growth of, of the Web3 and decentralized finance space, which basically means that if you are a travel company, you are going to have a lot of options and a lot of new ways to do things with your money. The money which is used to get payments, to pay, to store, to secure, deposits, anything. So I will not go deep into this. I just want to give you a feeling that there's a whole ecosystem in motion and that you will sooner or later start using it. So the first four chapters are talking about stablecoins. And I, I said this before, like when you say, okay, cryptocurrencies for payments, that's the proposal. And the answer is, yeah, but you know, they are too volatile. And the other answer here, well, no, there's stable cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies always worth $1. Now, the only thing I want to say here is no one of these stable coins is as safe as the real fiat money. We are still in an experimental phase. Now, how dangerous are there? Well, it depends. There's many of them. There's a lot of competition. Some will fail. Some will stay. Uh, the most used to date is the USDT from the company Tether, which was launched in 2014. So USDT has always worked. It has never failed. There's a lot of controversy about how it is really backed by real dollars, and it is not. It's backed by a mix of dollars and commercial papers and other things. So no one can tell you if you put all your money in it, it's going always to be there. You could lose it. There's a chance. And there's many other stable coins like DAI, the, the more recent UST, and so on. All I want to tell you, stable coins are important because you don't want volatility. And there's a lot of innovation, a lot of experiments. They can be used today with a certain degree of safety not a hundred percent degree of safety but they're there and they're gonna get better so we have kind of solved the problem of volatility uh, let's say you get a booking and the money gets deposited in a smart contract for three months you can be rather sure that in a three months time that money will still be there then if you are afraid that everything falls down well you take the usdt or the other stablecoin and you exchange it for fiat money in your bank the other chapters talk about decentralized exchanges, and so we will not get too much into this. One interesting aspect they, he talks about is the tokenized funds. What does it mean? Let's say that you want to bet on the travel industry in Web3. You say, okay, I don't know which project is going to be successful. I want to bet on all of them. I don't have the time nor expertise to buy all the tokens. Can I buy an index fund? Yes, there will be index funds for travel industry tokens. They will be both centralized and decentralized. You could actually go to one of these index protocols, which already exists, and propose a decentralized index fund, right? And become the manager for it. And then you go out and say, guys, I built this Web3 index fund and it got, I don't know, 10 different tokens. We rebalance them as time goes on, as the project goes on. We have a whole DAO following each team and we allocate accordingly. So we will see this. We, we could actually build one ourselves. Section eight is eat layers and bridges. I will not go through this section because it's really technical and it's about the blockchain scaling. So how blockchains will become faster and cheaper. But this is at the infrastructure level. 
So it is like in the 90s saying, look, internet is going to be very important for travel. Let me tell you about TCP IP and HTTP and broadband and stuff. All you need to know, and it is actually very important, is that the internet is going to be fast, cheap, ubiquitous, right? In the same way, Web3 is going to be everywhere. It's going to be fast. It's going to be cheap. So plan accordingly. There's a lot of work being done at the Ethereum layer one level. There's alternatives like Solana, there's Polkadot, Cosmos, Luna, Modra blockchains. I mean, a lot of technical stuff, again, which you don't actually need to know unless you want to become an investor in these layer ones or layer twos. But the message here is this is really moving fast. It's growing. Get ready because it's getting to a point in which we will be able to create use cases which are not applicable today. And I suggest you, of course, to download this report and look at these parts. You know, maybe this section, number eight, I won't tell you much about it. Why don't you go and read a little bit and understand what's happening there? Because it really gives you something precious, which is the conviction that actually there's a lot going on, basically. And so that it is a good bet to, to bet on Web3 in travel. Chapter 9 is much, much more interesting for us. It's called the Tao of Daos. And if we believe that in the future there's going to be not only companies in the travel industry, but there are going to be also Daos and potentially huge Daos, very important Daos, well, that's a really good moment to go deep into this concept and see what's happening already. Chapter 3, Working in Web3. Let me start by introducing you Chris Dixon, because Chris Dixon is a person who appears a bit everywhere in uh, discussions about DAOs. And Chris Dixon is a partner at Hundreson Horowitz, which is a fund, a VC from Silicon Valley, which invested in companies like Airbnb, Facebook, Groupon, Pinterest, Coinbase, Roblox, Slack. Uh, TransferWise, GitHub, Instagram, and many, many, many others. is one of the most important VC funds in Silicon Valley and is also very, very ahead in Web3. So if you think Web3 is something which you know is only interesting for nerds or somebody at the edge, no, Web3 is now definitely in the mainstream narrative and VCs who normally tend to move faster than others, are already in. Actually, exactly today, between yesterday and today, there's, there's a bit of discussion online in Twitter between those who say that Web3 is being captured by VCs, and usually these are Bitcoin maxis. Uh, it all started with uh, Jack Dorsey, who left Twitter, the CEO of Twitter. And so there's a lot of discussion, is Web3 in the hands of VCs or not? So the discussion is not, is Web3 somebody that just few people care about? Is it very fringe? No, it's, it's really mainstream. And Chris Dixon says he compares DAO membership favorably to other historical analogs. And I'm reading from a, a quote. Like Venice did for early modern Europe, Web3 is redefining how global talent pools their knowledge and work together. And like the homebrew computer club in the 1970s, communities of smart, passionate hobbyists are gathering in forums to tinker with a new set of primitives. 
to build groundbreaking products and experiences. Those communities are being organized today via DAOs, the Web3 Group Coordination Primitive. Two very important concepts here. Primitives. I've talked about primitives before. So what is a primitive? Primitive is not an app on top of something. It's what makes apps possible, right? A primitive in uh, internet is the email or the FTP. And very often primitives are protocols, or maybe more precisely, primitives are set of protocols which allow things to happen. An NFT is a primitive, right? And when you have a new primitive, you have something very powerful because it's just like a new tool which will allow building many, many things. So DAOs allow global accessibility. Anybody in the world, they just need a computer or maybe even a smartphone, they can participate in DAOs. You don't need to be in the right place at the right moment. You don't need to be connected to the right people. You just get in a DAO, you start working, and you get rewarded with tokens. Or you can apply for grants or submit proposals for full-time employment directly to the DAO membership. I've talked about this before, right? You see a DAO you like, you start helping. That's how you start. You start helping and you start learning and you start trying to be useful. You don't go there and apply for a job. And when you get you know, the feeling of this DAO and you think you can contribute, you can make a proposal and say, I want to do this kind of job for that amount of time and I would like to have this amount of money, often in tokens, often in the tokens of the specific DAO, right? So DAOs, and let's go now from the point of view of a travel company today, DAOs are becoming very interesting alternatives to your company as a place where people can earn money. Before DAOs, your competitor was you know, somebody you could give a job to some of your employees, or if you're hiring people who you're hiring and have alternatives, now they have many, many more alternatives, which are often much more interesting. Because most of the time, they are completely remote. You can work on your schedule. All it matters here is that you do what you promised. You can work for several DAOs at the same time. It's complete freedom. And I feel this very strongly because me personally, I made this choice over 20 years ago. I went completely independent. And I, thanks to the internet, thanks to Web1, actually, I was able to work on my own and I started traveling the world. And I never looked back. Even in difficult moments, I really always resisted very strongly going back to work for a company. Now, I was able at the time to leverage Web1. I was early. It was very rare to be a digital nomad at the beginning of the 2000s. But what I'm seeing happening today is that this opportunity now is global. Everybody can do that. So why is this important for you? Because it's going to be harder for you to attract talent. And again, I'm not reading tea leaves to tell you what's going to happen. I'm looking at what's happening today. Uh, big companies like Google and Facebook are seeing a lot of talent leaving and going to Web3 because it promises a lot of freedom, maybe not more money if you're working for Google, but most of the times more money if you're working for a medium or a small company. So if you have a company in Web2, in travel, you have to look at this. You have to understand what's happening and, and maybe front run the opportunity. Because if you go Web3, you could be able to attract those people. So your choice now is going to be, am I going to try to slow down the drain of talent from my company 
or am I going Web3 in attracting the best talent right now? So this is very black and white. Of course, it is not black and white. It's going to play out in a long time. But the trend seems really, really strong. It's not going to happen tomorrow in web travel. This is happening today in you know, more advanced sectors, but it's going to happen in the future. So plan accordingly. And you may ask how. Well, I would say go and work for a DAO. Even if you're a founder of a Web2 company, of a travel company in Web2, pick a DAO you like and start contributing. You will understand much better than you know, this theoretical approach which I can give you what it means working for a DAO. And you will also discover, of course, that it's not everything perfect, that there's many problems in DAOs, it's, it's messy. You will, you will see, you will understand what it means to work for a DAO, which will give you the chance to adapt before anybody else. And it is very easy to dismiss DAOs, especially at the beginning, because let's say you go into one, you're going to follow their Discord link, you get into Discord, you will see it very messy, you will see there is a lack of leadership often, and you're going to compare the DAO to the company and say DAOs have no chance. But you have to know that DAOs are new. They are still learning how to coordinate. And even at this very early stage, there's very successful DAOs out there which are managing a lot of money and great products. So maybe ask yourself, why are these people in such a messy environment able to create this kind of value? In short, do not dismiss DAOs. That could be the most costly mistake you ever make. Chapter five, I'm, I'm skipping some chapters. So chapter five is DAO treasury management. I quote, DeFi's current bull market is one of the top wealth generating events in crypto's short history. Any institution or individual with reasonable exposure to the sector watched as their net worth balance sheet spike 5, 10, 50 fold or more in the past 18 months. Some of the top DeFi protocols themselves are now sitting on hundreds of millions and sometimes billions of dollars in value, mostly in their native tokens. Two of the most active DAOs, Uniswap 4 billions and Compound 1 billion, sit on particularly large reserves. And then he goes on explaining how these treasuries have a problem because most of the money is in their own token, which is very risky. If the tokens drops 50% in value, their treasuries are effectively worth 50%. And at the same time, if your treasury is in your own token and you need money, you have to sell your token and you're going to make the price go down, right? So, well, in short, it's, it's good when you start having a treasury to have it diversified, which opens an interesting position for CFOs to move over from Web2 companies to DAO treasury management. Just a reminder, what is a DAO treasury? Well, usually it is a safe, usually it's a nosy safe where money is put, and by money I mean cryptocurrencies, and there's, a, I don't know, nine signers, nine people who can sign transactions, but you need at least six of them to, to sign a specific transaction to make it happen. This is called a multi-sig, or it could be three out of four or 10 out of 20, it doesn't matter. It is like a shared bank account where a certain number of people need to sign the transaction before money actually moves. Chapter 9, the new capital allocators. This is an interesting chapter because it tells you that DAOs may be important in your life as a Web2 travel entrepreneur because your next investment could come from a DAO. 
DAOs are also investment vehicles. So imagine people who say, okay, guys, let's invest in travel and let's form a DAO and put, I don't know, some, some money each into this safe and then have a couple of people follow the travel market closely and invest accordingly. And so this DAO could go out and buy the tokens of Web3 in travel companies or maybe just buy shares. You know, DAOs are not only completely decentralized, only tokenized systems. They can be represented by an LLC or a limited company. So DAOs could be the next place where you get money from. So check them out for this reason too. Okay, great. So this is the end of my reading of this amazing report from Messari. And I hope I've been at least partially successful in declinating everything which is said there for the future of the travel industry. But I strongly recommend you, if you want to get into Web3, to start from this report and try for yourself to see what could happen in the travel industry based on that. I'm sure that if I start over rereading this from the beginning, I would come up with new readings, new forecasts, new ideas. Web3 has left the valley of innovation for its own sake. It's starting to make a dent in the real world, if you want. And it's not anymore just an opportunity. It is also going to be a menace. So it is much easier to get in now, which much more upside, to be honest, in the travel industry. I got in probably too early in terms of travel industry, not in terms of you know getting in. Getting in was great at that early stage. But this is a great moment to get in, in general, if you are in the web travel industry. To the very least, you will be able to not be crushed by these very big dynamics which are going to start. And I just made an example with the talent drain. But you will also realize that the opportunities are incredible. I don't think I'm able to communicate how incredible the opportunities you will see are. I hope to be able to help you and assist you in this journey and uh, see you next time. All right, this is the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. For more insights on Web3, follow me on Twitter at tripluca, T-R-I-P-L-U-C-A, and see you next time.